Monthly Dignity is proud to present the podcast series. In this series, Monthly Dignity will share with you interesting discussions we've had with other women on topics ranging from period poverty to broader debates on gender equality. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Hello, Emily. Uh, Welcome um, to the Monthly Dignity podcast series, episode two. Um, So, Emily, uh, you're the founder of Climate Communicators, right? Do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. So, my name is Emily. I am uh, French and American. I'm 23 years old. I um, recently founded Climate Communicators, which is an online platform that encourages people to talk about climate change in a more constructive and positive way. And that works with clients on creating effective communication campaigns around climate change that translate into action. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, So perhaps we could start um, by talking about the positive, maybe, approach that you take to climate change through your project. Um, So on your website, Climate Communicators, um, it seems as though you really talk about positive news related to climate mitigation and adaptation. So why do you think it's so important to focus on the upworthy and positive side of the story? Well, that's a very good question. So I think that we are in a climate of very negative news and and cynicism and bad news are really dominating the climate conversation. And we're scared and we're very pessimistic. So I believe that good news and positive dialogue are equally, if not more effective drivers of action and fear and urgency. And if people are exposed to good news, then they can see that there are surprising ways that nature is preserving itself, that solutions are working and that they're ready to be scaled. And if we start sharing these positive news and talk about climate change in a more constructive and positive way, then we can send a clear signal to governments, to policy officials, to corporations, and even the wider public that there is a growing demand for climate solutions, clean energy, cleaner technology, and broader change. Yeah, thank you. Um, Actually, on that note, would you be willing to share maybe some of the good news that you shared recently with your public? Sure. So every week I send a newsletter called the Good News Digest every Monday with a collection of good news from the previous week so that people can start their week on a good note. This week, for example, um, we had Italy, the first country to make climate change a part of the school curriculum. We also had New Zealand, who uh, declared it would be carbon neutral by 2050. If you'd like to know more, you can sign up to my newsletter at climatecommunicators.com slash climateexplained. Climate Explained, C-L-I-M-A-T-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-E-D. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we could say that there is a rising strand of feminist activism. Um, and something called the concept of ecofeminism, um, which claims that the feminist battle cannot be disentangled from the fight against climate change. Uh, so their vision rests on the assumption that women and girls are disproportionately affected by climate change. What's your stance on this theory? Well, I completely agree. <laughs> um, women and girls are, of course, disproportionately affected by climate change. But they're also not just victims of climate change, they're protagonists of climate change, and they're on on the front lines of the fight against climate change. 
I'm actually a part of a mentorship program under C40 Cities. It's an organization that's called Women for Climate. And the mentorship program is really promoting the fact that women are more impacted but also have the tools and the emotional intelligence to fight such a complicated and existential issue that is climate change. It's really no surprise that there are more women engaged in the fight against climate change today than there are men. And um, I think this is a perfect segue into our discussion here about period health because that is really one issue that is at the intersection of climate change and um, and female health and and period justice. Okay. Um, well, actually, do you want to maybe keep going on that thought? Why do you think climate is is important in the context of period justice and maybe more specifically in the context of projects like Monthly Dignity? Well, there are many ways that climate change affects menstruation and menstruation affect climate change. Um, the two are really inextricably linked. For example, um, period and the... Well, menstruation and climate change are inextricably linked. The way in which menstruation affects climate change, for example, in terms of production of um, feminine hygiene products. So the plastic that's used for tampon, tampon applicators and uh, the backstrip of a pad, for example, are very, it's very carbon intensive. Or even in terms of the cotton that's used for the products. Cotton is a very dirty crop and um, has very unsustainable production methods associated with it. It consumes a very high level of water and pesticides and is also associated with severe human rights abuses, for example, child labor in Uzbekistan. Also in terms of waste, after all, period products are a single-use product, or most of the period products that are in the market today, at least. A menstruator uses an average of 11,000 tampons in their lifetime. And then the way in which menstruation affects climate change can be in terms of pollution and in terms of the weather irreg irregularity. So pollution and air quality interfere with hormonal activity. It uh, changes the metabolism and increases stress, which in turn affects period regularity. And then in terms of weather, irregular weather patterns alter our cycle. And if we're living in a climate with drastic seasonal change, we'll be seeing, and increasingly so, if climate change or when climate change becomes a more a more um, imminent and a more um, present issue in our daily lives, we're going to be seeing those, uh, those effects on our, our period regularity and our uh, hormonal balance. Yeah, and so you mentioned the fact that a lot of the um, menstrual health products um, are still single-use today. And so um, that's something um, I think that is quite important to mention considering that I mean a lot of us are aware that um, the climate change is a considerable a, cons a considerable problem today um, so why do you think it is that we still use or a lot of people still have access to single-use products well I want to start by saying that the big corporations that are making these single-use products they're driven by profit 
they're not doing it to respond to period justice or to contribute to feminine health or, or the health of a menstruator. They're, they're really doing it because the female body is a capitalistic enterprise. Let's just, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's just make that clear. Um, and we really are in need of compostable, biodegradable and plastic free products. Unfortunately, that, that's not the case today. We, um, if we can go from, if we can go through every type of, or most types of, um, of single, of, of products that are available today, we'll, we'll see why that's just that's very difficult. There isn't one golden or one, um, one product that's that's perfect or that res- that is that can be a solution or universal solution for cultural reasons, for economic reasons, for. Uh, sustainable reasons, etc. So the tampon, for example, we all know that the plastic applicators are um, completely and undeniably unsustainable. And now there are plant-based applicators that exist, and I bought them a week ago, but each tampon that comes with a plant-based applicator is individually wrapped in plastic. (laughs) And so these companies are marketing a plant-based alternative, which is just not true. The um, pesticides that are also in tampons or in pads are um, deeply problematic for for women. And um, even if a product is labeled 100% organic, it could mean that the pesticides are organic, not necessarily that there are no pesticides. So there are just so many things that us women or us menstruators, I'm sorry, je veux dire, There are just so many things that us menstruators have to watch out for. And it's really unfair that we have to be going through all of this effort to be more sustainable and that these options are just not as accessible or affordable to us. Now, if we move on to pads, the, as I mentioned, the the plastic lining in the back of pads um, are not biodegradable and are highly toxic. And beyond pads, we also have menstrual cups. Now, menstrual cups are not for everyone, for economic, cultural, and, and even health reasons. A lot of women are not comfortable with introducing a foreign objects into their vagina. And beyond that, the, um, the menstrual cups have to be washed. And if women don't have access to clean water or to a space where they can comfortably and and privately clean those cups, then it's just simply not an option for them. And uh, menstrual panties as well. Those are really interesting. They um, they allow you to wear the panties and not have to change products every few hours, and um, they absorb all the period blood. I personally am not comfortable using those because I have a history of um, of getting a lot of urinary infections, and I'm afraid of of the implications of that. Now, maybe there's some research into that. Um, I just think that there is very little research into feminine hygiene in general. So I personally have not encountered any research or or, um, any literature on that yet, but um, I'm hoping that in the future uh, I will. I don't know about you if you've ever used uh, period panties or, or menstrual panties before, but I personally don't know if it's a very good option for me. 
Um, yeah, so I mean, in the context of, of monthly dignity, but also in the context of me being a menstruator, I've looked into the different options. And, and like you mentioned, no option is perfect because, um, well, first of all, everyone's body is different. Um, people can afford different kinds of products for different reasons. Um, yeah, so I've personally tried the, the period panties, which I would recommend, but again, they're not a necessarily affordable they're not accessible to everyone and they do pose some constraints um yeah and so i mean as in the context of monthly dignity we do try to provide um our beneficiaries with a certain level of choice we try to give them different options and alternatives so that they can choose whatever is best for them um even though like you say whether we are privileged or not or depending on our culture where we come from etc um we don't. We can't necessarily use just any kind of product, and and there's still a lot of innovation that is that is to be made. Or a lot of thinking, especially considering how complex of an issue it is. So, I mean, you mentioned research, which um, isn't necessarily uh, maybe something that people do enough, or at least it's not research that's made accessible enough to the public because it's something that we should all be aware of. Um, I mean, we. Menstruation affects half of the world's population directly uh, because a lot of, I mean, um, yeah, because people and half of the world's population menstruates, but also it does affect everyone indirectly considering that, um, I mean, menstruation and uh, the menstrual cycle are source of life. The female body. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess it is something that we should all be comfortable uh, talking about, but also something that we should all be really informed about because it's really important. And it's quite problematic that we still put, whether we're privileged or not, a lot of privileged individuals um, still use tampons that are problematic for multiple reasons. And for now, it's true that we focus on the medical um, problems, um, the fact that they use products like chlorine and stuff that aren't good for our bodies, but they also use plastic, which isn't good for the planet. So, and chlorine isn't good for the planet either. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there are so many aspects that come into this and it's, it's really too bad that the menstruators have to make this choice um, and have to get informed by themselves. It has to be an individual initiative. And so obviously projects like Monthly Dignity do try to um, maybe lower the stigma and open a, start a conversation about this, which is really important, but um, there's still so much to be done. Of so, course. Yeah, how do you think, do you, do you have any solutions in mind? How do we as individuals, how can we maybe bring um, innovation um, in terms of menstruation and sustainability together? What do we do? Well, um, well, I have a few solutions, um, and you're right, over 50% of the world population menstruates and little to no conversation about feminine hygiene and sustainability is, um, is happening. And, and not only are we fighting a stigma around menstruation, we're also fighting a stigma around climate change. We are unable to talk about both of these issues, and here we are trying to talk about both at the same time. So this is doubly complex and challenging and of course what's going to take precedence is the most immediate concern of health and hygiene it's it's period health and and access to feminine products before access to sustainable feminine products unfortunately so because there has been stunted development 
in the conversation and in products in the last 80 years because of the stigma, we have an opportunity to do things right this time. So first solution would be open dialogue. We are in urgent need to find sustainable, practical, affordable solutions, dialogue being one of them. Um, And if we're able to more comfortably talk about the issue, if we have a vocabulary around the issue, then we're going to be able to push the issue in in policy. So if we have the proper platforms and the proper vocabulary to talk about period health and menstruation, then we can foster change in other areas, particularly in terms of corporate accountability and policy change. Now, I've said before that companies like Johnson & Johnson or Procter & Gamble in the United States are driven by profit and profit only. So if we communicate our demands or if we communicate the need for sustainable products through demand, then they will respond Now, will their intentions be pure and will they be to really um, help the environment or protect the environment? No, Um, but they will be a step in the right direction. So we are in desperate need of products that are compostable, biodegradable, and 100% plastic free. And if we... Okay, attends, là, je suis en train de complètement perdre le fil. En fait, si tu veux, là, je peux intervenir. Là, je peux... Ouais. Ça fait le... OK. Um, yeah, I mean, you're completely, completely right. And with the, the laws of, of demand and supply, hopefully, um, if the public um, puts forth the demand for sustainable products, then the price won't necessarily go up by much um, because it is important to keep in mind the social justice aspect of, every, of, of all of this, considering that um, menstrual hygiene products are already... Uh, quite inaccessible to a lot of individuals, we wouldn't necessarily want them to become more expensive. So it's really about the government stepping in and making sure that it's not necessarily a compromise that we have to make in terms of, of investment in the products, but it's a responsibility responsibility that, like you said, falls upon um, the corporations themselves. Now, we just need to make sure that the if there are period taxes or, or the tax on... Um, so sustainability needs to be a part of the conversation and especially in terms of policy the female hygiene and menstruation needs to be political they need to be political subjects public political subjects Um, the access of hygiene products um, transparency of of the way they're produced and the ingredients that are in that are contained in, in period products, the how to recycle those period products, the corporate accountability as well, and um, innovation as well. So, for example, in France, there was a they decreased the taxes, the tampon tax, from I believe it was twenty uh, percent to fifty five point five percent which is a, is, is a significant decrease, and, and it's great. But it didn't really translate into a decrease in price for the consumer. So we need to make sure that not only is it a part of the conversation in the public realm, but there is corporate accountability behind those, um, 
those measures and those policy changes, that it's not an opportunity for corporations to put a premium on these products. Um, sustainability is not simply a business strategy. It should also be a, um, a way for people to, um, to purchase uh, affordable products. Because sustainability is essentially um, an economic, should be an economic gain for, 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 um, for consumers and for brands alike. Right. Um, and so I guess one of the other solutions um, that Monthly Dignity tries to put forth is um, for the individuals that um, have access to reusable products to consider donating, donating the non-reusable products, the single-use products that they had at home before to institutions or organizations like Monthly Dignity, um, but also maybe directly to the shelters um, around around the place where you live, um, around you. Um, yeah, are there anything maybe like day-to-day solutions, uh, small steps, small things we can follow? Of course, yeah, there are a lot of movements and there are a lot of groups like Mo- Monthly Dignity, of course. In the United States, there's uh, the period movement, which is uh, led by a young activist called Nadia Okumoto, and she um, is fighting the stigma around period and period justice in the U.S. and uh, beyond now, I think. So talking about it and supporting and donating to these movements, um, (laughs) voting, of course, and um, also through our consumption behaviors because that's, that's Mm -hmm. that's undeniably what's going to drive supply as well. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe there's also um, some activists that we can follow. In addition to the groups and organizations such as Monthly Dignity, there are individuals, uh, feminist activists or uh, political figures that that do raise some of these points in terms of uh, menstruation and or climate change. Um, Emily, do you have any people that inspire you or that you would recommend? Sure. So this doesn't necessarily directly apply to menstruation, but um, a major climate icon and uh, climate heroine that we have in the U.S. is um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, and she is a rising star (laughs) in the U.S. She's the um, congresswoman for New York, and to her, Climate change is inextricably linked to climate justice and social justice. And of course, she will be president one day. I know it <laughs> because she has this way with people. And she, when she talks to a crowd and when she talks about just about any issue, she has this ability to relate to an audience and to understand their point of view, their current perceptions of an issue, to, to understand their values and their beliefs and to really speak to that. And that's the that's an incredible quality for a communicator, a politician, and a uh, social justice warrior. Yeah, absolutely. Right, and so we hear a lot about Greta Thunberg these days. What do you think of her? Is she a good communicator? Do you does she inspire you? Is she um, someone that we should um, look up to in the domain? Greta's a great communicator, and that's why she's so influential today. I think there are two main ways of engaging people into fighting climate change, and one is through fear, and one is through 
encouragement, motivation, positive reinforcement. Greta obviously fits into the first category of fear. She's very good at engaging her audiences, at hooking them, at drawing attention to the issue through accusing older generations and, and, and people who are not acting and, and contributing to the problem. But there are other approaches that are, that are complementary to hers. And that's really sustaining people into action through positive messaging and encouraging words. And, and, and that's really what I'm trying to do here. I don't think that we would be here where we are today in the climate movement if it wasn't for her. And I'm here to balance the conversation, to make it more positive, and ultimately to help us cycle through grief and cycle through our, the, the, our, these confusing times and these uh, anxiety-inducing times, and to move on to action, concrete, constructive action. Right. And so do you think this this approach, this positive psychology, if, if I may, um, do you think that also applies to the social justice domain? Is that something that you would recommend? Um, is that a, a way of seeing things that you would recommend in in all fields, or is that something that you, you think is particularly important in terms of um, the environment? I think it definitely applies to any sort of field, any fight. I think there will always be people who are effective at um, drawing fear and creating urgency and people who are effective at drawing motivation and, and positive, uh, positive reinforcement. Um, and there are also audiences who are more receptive to fear than audiences who are more and audiences who are more receptive to to encouragement. So both tactics are important and have to work in tandem. Um, they that's really important. And as it relates to the period movement, of course, um, I'm mad. I'm pissed that I have to pay a tax for my own products for something that I am predisposed to do. It's ridiculous. I'm pissed. And what I think is important, those emotions, whether they're fear, um, anger, or hope and motivation, we have to activate them into action. We have to do something. And admittedly, I'm concerned about climate change, and I don't think that there's a hierarchy to be made between different social justice fights, but I'm definitely drawing or I'm definitely spending more energy on the climate fight and less on the menstrual justice, social justice fight, I have to admit. But I do believe that activating emotions and really leading change through um, our consumption choices, our conversations, informing ourselves and, and all the other ways that we talked about is really important, whether that's positive or positively driven or negatively driven. Right, of course. And, and of course, um, I think, like you said, the different techniques or the different approaches are complementary and, and they need to they really need to come together, especially considering that depending on, on who you are and, and what you're what your situation is, it's easier to take a more maybe fatalistic or yeah approach. Uh, and sometimes it's if you're maybe more privileged, it's, it's also easier to, to have a more positive approach. But in the end, like you mentioned, maybe action is just the way um, 
is just the common point. It's it's where we should all come together, no matter what um, your motivation, what emotion your motivation stems from. Um, we should all come together and and with positive intentions and mm-hmm. really in the hope of, of yeah. making the world a better place. And there's no wrong way to talk about period health and to talk about these issues. The Any way is the right way. So long as we're not talking about it enough, any way is the right way. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Is there a topic you're curious to learn more about or a topic you think would interest our listeners? Feel free to send us a message on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram and let us know. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media for more news, events, and podcasts. Bye!